Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Token Rambles Podcast. Today is a review episode. Woo! So, me, your somewhat host, Jesse, here with the lovely Marissa. Hello! And Sarah. Hello! So today, we are finally, at long last, after over a year of painful waiting. And slight begging. We are here to discuss Hiden, Yui no Me no Hototogis. Or the fourth stage play from the Token Rambu universe, titled Tragedy, the Cuckoo Caught in the Knot. Yay! <laughs> you, you know this is going to be a fun, light-hearted stage play when you start it with the title of uh, Tragedy. Right? <laughs> right? All light-hearted fun times. You mentioned the name. We'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and mention. So yeah, the cuckoo caught in the knot. Fototogisu is a bird, the cuckoo bird, but in Japan especially, the bird is known as the bringer, the messenger of death. So that's also fun. Yeah, there's there's a lot of double meanings with the hototogisu in this stage play. No. Let's just go ahead and get started here real quick. For those of you who don't haven't seen it yet, be warned this is spoiler zone. There will be no other warning now. Go watch it. If you don't want to have anything spoiled yet, pause us, go watch it on DMM, then come back. Okay. And cry. And cry with us, yes. Go back, cry for a hot minute. Maybe an hour or two, you know. I think I was catatonic for like three afterwards the first time. Oh. And then, you know, we'll get there. It's cool. It's fine. Tissue box is recommended. Yeah, tissue box is recommended. So what is Hiden Yui no Me no Hototogi? Well, it focuses on the final battle of Ashikaga Yoshiteru during the Muromachi period. And the sword warrior that was born upon his passing. The retrograde army, headed by the living armor of Date Masamune, recruits the nameless warrior with the promise of helping him keep Yoshiteru from dying. Meanwhile, back at the citadel, Yamambagiri Kunihiro has become comfortable in his position of attendant, with Heshikiri Hasebe and Fudoyuki Mitsu heading off on Kiwame, or on their Kiwame journey. Two blades seem to be suffering from an existential crisis. As the unit sets off and sees to the death of Ashikaga Yoshiteru, the following events affect Shoku Daikiri, as well as those of formerly owned by the sword-loving Yoshiteru, Daihanya Nagamitsu, Honebami Toshiro, and Mikazuki Mutika. So this stage play focuses on those main swords, but we do have quite the cast with us. Involved in this play, we have Obviously, Yamambagiri Kunihiro, who I will be referring to as Mamba, 90%. We have Heshikiri Hasebe. I generally stick to Heshi. Shark boy sometimes will slip out for me. I'm just that. (laughs) I'm just basic. It's just Hasebe over here. Pulls out the Um, Heshi. Heshiki! Pulls out the Nihongo. Heshkiri. 
we got Fudo Yukimitsu. I usually go with Fudo or Fifi. I have no shame on admitting that one was because of me. And so, yes, it will slip out. <laughs> I don't know where you got that from, but... Typos. Oh. Yeah, and then he was so hyper. Trying to say Fufu ended up being Fifi, and it just, it stuck. He's Fifi. We got Shoku Daikiri Mitsutada. For me, Shoku and Mitsu is interchangeable. Or Mitsan if the inner Sada starts screaming. Yeah. Mitsu. Got... <laughs> I don't think any of us, like, go with the Sudo version, but... Speaking of Mitsubo, though, we have Tsurumaru Kuninaga as well in this. Of the bird variety, we got Kogurasumaru, Uguisumaru. I can't have Uguisumaru without Okanehira. I have never called him Okanehira, so if I do, it's going to be a miracle, so baka. <laughs> you have. I know you, just you have. Yeah. I know you have. I can find receipts. Anyway. I am very scared. Okanehira. Baka. My sister calls him Kagami, so if that slips out, I'm sorry. Oh my god, he does look like Kagami from Kuroko. He. Okanehira <laughs> is essentially Kagami from Kuroko because he's not of the group. But technically, he could be. And he's just. Anyway. A big so, idiot yeah, have... who screams in people's faces because he wants to be better than them and challenges them to matches and also has flaming red hair and is really tall. So, yeah, no, he's definitely Kagami. <laughs> but largely, he is Baka. We got Daihanya Nagamitsu. If I comment on any of his appearance, I might switch up with Uwu, just because oh, yeah. we all know me and his actor's name, so Uwu might slip out occasionally. Uwu! Shout out to Lexi for being mad at me for calling him Uwu in front of Maya-chan Ugu. And then we have Honebami Toshiro, Ikazuki Munechika, McFreakin' Moon Moon. Yep, especially in this one. He is Troublesome Sword. <laughs> I knew you were trouble when you walked in. Uh, you can't be lying on the cold hard ground. We also no have... And the screaming is Mamba in the background. <laughs> I didn't need that thing. It's too early <laughs> recording for this. Uh, sorry, we're not there yet. We also have Kasen Kanesada. All I know is right now, wrong place, wrong time. Wrong place, wrong time. You know. (laughs) Save him. Poor Wada just sitting there going, "Mm, awkward combo, scoot, scoot, scoot. (laughs) That's what it looks like in that scene. Like, I'm not, it looks like he just wants to, like, scoot his butt against the ground and just leave. Do I exit stage left and just scooch my booch? But nope, he stays. That's our main cast there. Some names get dropped throughout the play, which I think is a really cute mm-hmm. thing. But that's neither here nor there. We also have 
the nameless warrior sword the sword warrior that was born upon his passing this character gets called by the sword the Nue blade and later gets named Hototogisu no Tachi I call him Toto keep your ears out for those I'll talk more about their actors in the end with the wrap up as who they were played by because we're gonna need happy fun backstage times so let's just jump right in shall we if i could let's start with expectations that we had before we watched it now full disclosure we had we all watched this a year before recording and we've watched it multiple times since expectations before if you can remember what you were thinking it would be like or if you forgot it what would what did you think it was gonna be as you went to rewatch it let's start with marissa uh, okay uh it's, it's been a while i i really cannot remember what i was my expectations of hopping into this were it was just i didn't have any because i didn't know what was going to happen because i didn't know much about the ashikagas going into it i was just like oh well jesse knows more than me and all i knew was mika bami and nyanyan were owned by him and that was about it so i was expecting a similar story to what we've gotten in the previous stages and in the musicals where History Retrograde Army comes in, they start messing things up, we have feels for the main swords, and things go back to normal. And that is not what happened. <laughs> I think that that was about it. How about you, Sarah? Well, it's been a while, but I distinctly remember. So we watched, didn't start watching it until after it got onto Demon, I believe. So, like, by that time, we'd had time to see all the different, like, photos that all the boys love to send and post everywhere because there are giant selfie sticks walking around. And I just remember, so two things, really, for my expectations going into this. One was a picture of a very tear-stained Maki who plays Yamamagiri, who is like, I, I'm really hoping I don't cry today. I'm going to fail, and then later on, I failed. <laughs> so that's always wonderful, thinking about, like, oh, one of the main actors is crying every time he goes on stage. Wonderful. And so we have that, which is like, oh, yay, feels. We're going to go into feels town. But considering Honoji is my favorite, and that's already feels, I'm like, okay, we can handle this. This is fine. But then, like, we were seeing a certain color change Mika pictures that were being like snuck out and everything and i was like oh yay we're gonna have another black crane incident um can i have black crane incident again instead of what actually happened crane had a happy ending and that says something compared to this so yes my expectations were lots of feels but it's a stage it'll end happy they like to give us happy things, sort of at the end at least, and all everyone will be growing because what is a token anything live action that's not like we're going to become stronger? Yay! I was not prepared. 
I really was not prepared. But yes, so that was what I was thinking going into this. Much the same to mine. I was kind of both of y'all. Like, yeah, it'll probably be like a standard token work. There's the historical figure. They try to change it, either kill him or keep him alive. And the swords will do their thing, save the day. And yeah, there should be some tears in there somewhere. I know that kanji is tragedy. Okay, cool. Let's hope it's not that bad, right? Maybe? And then there was the picture of the very injured mamba that was released on the last day. Thanks, Maki. All the concern. I was also really intrigued because there was one picture that Honebami's actor posted with just this ray fluff of a thing shown in the background. What the heck are you? Little did we know, little did I know that I would come to adopt that character. I was not prepared. I actually distinctly remember you saying, I like him. I want him. He is mine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Jesse really Jesse really is the mother of all lost things. I am. I really am. You have your I lost ones. I was not prepared ones. for this play in the slightest. I thought I could do it. I thought I could be strong. I thought it would be fine. And nope. Okay. We'll just lead that into reactions. So I'll talk about Toto for a second here because he is my favorite character that Token has brought into a thing at the moment. Rip, um, poor Go Boy. Rip, Go Boy. Ouch. He has his place, and it <laughs> will come, and his time will come. This yes. is not the time for freaking Go Buddy. I love him dearly, but this is Toto's time to shine. Okay, okay. Let me give my lost boy his love because he deserves it. This poor character born from sorrow, given such unfair treatment, but at least his master did love him and gave him a name and treasured him to the final moment. He was my favorite. Yoshiteru-sama. Yoshiteru-sama. Boku wa tsuyokunoru. Asenai. I'm okay. I'm fine. How about y'all? <laughs> I mean, one of your favorite scenes, aspects, or character. I'll let Sarah go next. Favorite ones. Not not necessarily uh, the ones that killed you, per se, but... Gee, uh, <laughs> thanks, Marissa. Yeets me over here. We're um, going backwards from last time. So you're still in the middle. See, the problem I have with this is there are two, honestly, for me, that one is to be guessed because Shokuda Akiri has long been one of my favorites. He was, like, one of my starter team swords. He has always been my baby. I will protect him. My heart hurts a lot. <laughs> the first half of the musical is me constantly being like, no, baby, no. Like, at one point, I'm pretty sure if Kossin had been in my reach, I would have smacked him. 
Excuse uh. me, why would you smack Carson? Carson over here with his, did you learn nothing else but how to be like a cook? Asking him like all those questions when should have been a lighthearted scene with the singing. And then all of a sudden, Carson's just like ripping him over the coals. Yes, it was a needed reality check. But it was also the reality check that kind of sent him into chasing Mikazuki later on. Because the boy he was felt... in denial. Yeah, he 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 was just wanting to prove that he is still a sword, despite the fact that he he's burned and not as precious as he was. Yeah, yeah, he's a good boy too. But the unexpected character I'm going to go ahead and throw out because before I like devolve a little bit more. I am very, very happy with what they did, outside of costuming, with Chi-Chi. Because yes. I, like, Kogurasumaru, mm-hmm. his character in this shown. So I am very happy with him. So yes. Now I'm just going to toss it back, this hot potato over. Back to me. So I would actually say my favorite part of this had to be Fudo Yukimitsu's Kiwame journey. I have adored Fudo since Honoji. I can't remember if I got him in the game before I watched the stage play. And I just loved his design. He's one of my purple babies. But Fudo just... There was just something about him from that first stage play. Seeing this kid who needed a hug. And seeing him walking the streets with Ramaru's brother, I'm pretty certain. And trying to not drink sake and coming to this realization of I am just as strong of a sword and I'm not weak and I'm not useless. I am very much needed and I, I, I adored that a lot. Him and Hasebe's journeys, interestingly enough, kind of paralleled with the aftermath of Ashikaga Yoshiteru's death because there are Nobunaga swords and without him getting assassinated, Nobunaga would not have risen to power as he did. So that was an interesting thing when I went back and rewatched it, just hearing the farmer samurai guy talk to Hasabe about that. It was like, okay, so that's why they selected these two swords to do this. But also, I think it was a great parallel to see how far Fudo had actually come on his Kiwame journey when they had that confrontation scene with Toto. Because they're having that major fight, and Toto's explaining why he's fighting. Trying to change history, and he's like, but the history hasn't happened. This is my present. I can save him because there is no past. This is not the past for me. And he's just trying to protect what he loves, who he loves. And Fudo, Fudo's down on the ground because he'd been knocked over. And he just looks at him and he's like, Hasebe, he is me. That's me from before training. That was me at Honno. He's one of us. But yeah, so no, I, I think there was a lot of worth in both of their journeys kind of gonna jump over the questions that arose because we're gonna talk about the plot very shortly i think things that surprised kind of discussed a little bit you know sarah said that koga was very pleasantly surprising in how they handled him aside from wardrobe but you know 
I'm always going to be salty over the fact that his outfit, his awakened form, still had more cloth than fully clothed Chi-Chi's outfit in game. Anyway, it's very confusing. It tricks the eyes. Well, no, I think we mentioned this before because I was going to say, like, maybe the actor didn't want that. But I'm pretty certain I talked to you about this before when we I, I kidnapped you, like, a couple months ago. And you're like, no, he was perfectly fine with wearing, like, literally nothing on his top. So I don't know why the wardrobe decided to do what they did. But they did. The only thing I can guess is there must have been an incident with too much showing. Because we know he has the actual form because his bromides are him wearing the correct outfit so he had one where it was perfectly like normal with the gaps and everything so the only thing i can think is they had to make like some sort of decision after maybe too much showing like during a spin or something but <laughs> that's all i can possible and also most of the other characters they still have like their jacket or something on and bits of their clothing. Kogurasumaru uh, is completely like topless, except for like shreds of clothes. And one of the things when you're on stage is that uh, the headset mic, usually the wire runs down your back. So if he doesn't have a top on and he goes to spin, you're going to see that wire running up his back. Good point. <laughs> Maybe that was it. So they did it for pictures just for promotional stuff and to be like hey here's the official one but yeah no stage doesn't because the magic of stage will get ruined they had their reasons i'm sure it is what it is he still managed to pull off koga fantastically even with the extra bits of clothes him and his funny spin walk half drift half like giggle hopscotch across stages freaking like floats across the stage dances and they also the added sound of like feathers of wings whenever he like is fighting I think is really really cool I will 100% agree because like with Siru they do the flutter a little bit where it's just like the sound of his cloth is exaggerated to sound a little bit more just like feathers or something but with him they actually gave him a specific soundtrack that are like vicious wings flapping which is very nice little effect but why is koga so important who you asking (laughs) that's the question indeed anyone who wants to answer why do you think koga was involved so much in this stage play I think one of the reasons that he was majorly involved, uh, one of the conversations that he had was me- with Mikazuki when he kind because even in the games and stuff, Koga seems to be a lot more perceptive and wiser than he actually seems because he also has a bit of that airheaded nature to him like Mika, like, oh, yes, I'm just an old man. Ha 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 ha. Don't mind me. Uh, same with him, Uvisumaru and Surumaru, because they're the older blades. And Koga kind of was hint like there was a conversation where he-, he knew something definitely was up with Mika. Not very many others had caught on that Mika's hiding something and he's been pulling away. And a lot of what he's saying just doesn't seem to line up. 
I'm not stupid. I've been around for thousands of years. I get this. And he has a conversation with him about him being the father of all blades. And Mikazuki's like, even me? And he's like, even you. Uh, as a father, kind of like, I'll protect all of you and I'll look after all of you. And it was kind of his way of telling Mikazuki, like, we're here for you. I know you're hiding something. But no matter what, you are still my child. And I think that's one of the really impactful things about Kogorasumaru in this stage that we haven't gotten from a lot of characters previous. Receptive, clever little crow. What about you, Sarah? Oof. So much oof. Everything Marissa just said is perfection. <laughs> Not gonna lie. He's so wise in a, in a terrifying way, too. Because everything is... When we really get the first interaction with him outside of just, you know, the, you had him initially with the intro song, which I will definitely make a sure, sure to point out the fact that if you notice the way they staged everyone when Koga, he's the last one to do his introduction line, everyone turns to him. So that was just amazing little fact. So it kind of shows the fact that in everything, he is still one of the great swords. But the first time you really interact with him, you get a little bit of a grasp of his character. He asks the question that goes through this whole stage. What is a sword? You have this lighthearted moment where you've got Baka and everyone like coming at him to fight. And so it's a free for all against Koga. And he's just like, ha ha, no, no, no. He's having fun. He's defeating him. And then Mika shows up and does his little thing. And Baka, of course, is like, fight me, fight me. But then all of a sudden, all this playfulness, Koga just bursts out with a, what is a sword? That's the point when things are just like, mic drop, things are going to go downhill. And so throughout all of this, you have a sense that he knows something's going on. He's constantly, like, as Marissa said, he's reassuring Mika that I am here for you. You could talk to me if you want, but no matter what, I'll still be here for you. So at the very end, it makes it even more impactful, the fact that he chose to be there. He literally jumped into, which, as we said, no spoilers at this point, because it's all every, we're just jumping on ahead. He, he's like, I will follow. I won't do anything. I won't interfere with these two battles because this is your story, but I will be here for you. So that's like, oof. But you kind of also get a hint that he he's there, but he's also very vicious if needed. Because there's one scene that I know, like, at, you kind of don't care so much for our, our poor human, Ashikaga, who's just like, because, like, humans causing all the struggles <laughs> with all the love. Yeah, but then during his final death scene, Koga yeah. is there as well. And Ashikaga asks a question. Will they laugh at me in the future for dying like this? And Koga just looks at, out at the audience before turning. If they do, I will kill them. And it's like the coldest expression you can see. So you are reminded, this guy is old. He is not, like, he is not gentle. He is one of an old, he is an old sword who is meant to do damage. So the fact that they added him like this is just like amazing and so his he's a really good foil character for Mika I think 
I really only have one thing to add, and it's completely minor in comparison to both of y'all's, both of y'all, <laughs> because that was <laughs> exactly what I hoped for and completely perfect. So thanks. In that first interaction with Koga when they're doing the sparring practice, and Mika comes in and is trying to be dragged into practice by Baka over here, Koga's just up on the stand, and he's just like, what is a sword? We were all just lumps of metal and launches into this kind of existential speech. <laughs> yep. And then, oh, like it boils down to, so after all that, I think we can all enjoy some tea. Like he's just trying to distract and then appease Mika. He seems to be going through a hard time at the moment. I'm going to help him out. Let's go have tea. <laughs> But I'm going to be cryptic about it because I'm going to break everyone's minds first. Yep, he does. On that conversation, because Sarah mentioned it as well, the line I loved most was he said the fact of due to the changing in times, swords also changed their role. They became weapons. They were priceless items. They were... And then they just stopped. But then also the, the lines of that on a less cryptic and just ouch my heart mode, because we have pretty much all these types of different swords in our citadels. I'm pretty certain it's that scene. It's when they're leaving. Yeah, because that's when they leave Kasen with Shoku. No, it's later. That was later. Oh, it was after the meeting when they come back. Was it Suda or was it Koga that made the joke of without horses, swords wouldn't be curved? It's and Koga. It, it was Koga. And I was leaving. like, yeah, because they, they would, if they were straight, the horses would thank their carrots. And you see Kasen sitting on the ground looking at his sword, like, does it look like a carrot? <laughs> <laughs> and poor Mamba's like, wait, really? Oh, really? And it's like, no. Flashback to Honoji, where literally in the <gasps> rerun the that. Yeah. Horse of Oh but gosh. Especially with Mamba's carrot like tassel thing. Yeah. No. But no, it is ironic because yes, without horses, swords really wouldn't be curved because you need a curved blade when you're slashing someone on a horse. And then of course he had to add the stupid because it looked like a carrot. What? Oh, these bird swords. Old birdmen. Bird bird. A bunch so of birdmen. Besides Koga, Uglisumaru also seemed to be very aware that something was going on because Baka just kept egging and egging, and Uglisumaru was just like, haha, steers away his husband, his boyfriend. He's like, no, we're not, we're not gonna bother Mika because what's going on, and you are clearly lacking perception skills. Perception roll the shit. Read the atmosphere and move on. Move Let's go. <laughs> Same with Sudu. Uh, Sudu knew something was going on. But you can also put that to the fact that Sudu's been in the Citadel almost as long as Mika and probably has known Mika that long. And Sudu himself, I love his lines of his surprise lines, like you're surprised they're not for this or something. And I was like, Sudu! Him with it. Legitimately, when he was like, they're having that big talk just between Koga, Sudu, and Mika. And he's just like, Mika, no matter what. I accept any surprise, even if it's hard to swallow. And yeah. then later on, him, like, this is 
this is still very painful to swallow. I know what I said, but. And then he's like, can't you, can't you show me how to be happy again? Like, how can I make this right again? And I'm, it hurts a little bit more too to remember that they used to be, I don't know if they were spousal stores, but they were definitely connected. They were. Like they were, they were spousal stores. Okay. Th- throwing back to Giden, Akats, the, the second one, right? When Black Crane happened. It was Mika that cut through and saved Sudo. Was able to like keep adding that extra bit to bring Sudo back. Ha ha. But ha. It, guess I'm getting old. <laughs> and then there was him trying to figure out, like, oh, okay, I mean, this is a surprise. Yeah, I know I said I'd take any surprise, even a sad one, even was hard to swallow and I can't do anything about this okay well what do I do y'all mentioned the what is a sword question that Koga brought up and how that ties in to this whole thing let's talk about that for a minute obviously the question was started by Koga but it's the general theme throughout the stage play after Koga mentions it, and after that scene in the sparring hall, we get dropped right into a kitchen scene where that same question kind of gets brought up again. But with much more serious after. Sarah, since it's about Shoku, would you like to jump in with this one? Uh, I don't <laughs> think I have much want to whimper in the background. Might as well make my whimpers useful. <laughs> Lord. You can do this. Ugh, Just think of the fish. <laughs> Just think of the giant fish. Oh gosh, the poor fish. And the song. <laughs> love, I love my opera singing son. So the scene in question, in case anyone is blanking, and I don't know how you would blank at this moment, just remembering Shoku enters the scene more or less by singing about a tuna fish. And how he just wants to make everyone happy. But also, after, you know, happy song, I want to do, do this, want to bring smiles to people's faces. He's like, I'm having issues with my memory. And he's talking to Kasa. Because kitchen buddies are kitchen buddies. And Kasa's like, well, if you don't remember, why do you think I would know? But, so they're having this really intense discussion. And at one point, Kasa's just like, I don't rem- know what you're missing, but... If, oh, oh, this hurts. This I can't eventually get real words out and not just keep, like, hitting the stop point and, like, a record. But he's constantly, what are you? Are you not a sword? Did you learn nothing else from Masamune, your former master, than to be a sword of hospitality? And it's very much painful because it's, like, like Shoku has to think about well, no, I'm not just that. I I did learn more. I'm not just all about manners and grace and being a good cook. I am still a sword, no matter what. It's Kasim's voice later on that he actually hears during battle scenes that's reminding him, you can fight. You are a sword still, no matter what. Even though it's problematic. But yes, I'm sure 
someone else can come with a little bit more grace on this part. But yes, it's very, it's very painful. And it actually reminds me very much of earlier in Honoji where Soza is also having his, I'm, am I just an ornament sword thing? And then Hasebe is like, even though you're an ornament, you're still a sword. So you can fight. And later on, this other Samoji's being like, no matter what, we still love your stories. All around, all my kids have issues. But the question of what is a sword has technically been there for a long time underlying. And it's just been very sneaky. One of the things I love about that scene with Kasen and Shoku is when Shoku Daikiri brings up after Kasen's like, are you just a hospitality sword? Kind of just making him think like, Shoku, I know you're more than this. I believe you're more than this. You apparently don't see it. Or you're maybe too afraid to see it because Masamune was seen as a bit of a... Very similar on the side of Oda Nobunaga was a bit of a tyrant at times, could get really crazy in battle and might not have to really be associated with that fact because Shoku has a very kind of calm demeanor about himself. But he's like, well, maybe there's more, but I feel like there's lapses in memory is very similar to Ichigo and Honebami and Namazuo because they also got burned in a fire like he did. One of the things I love about Kasen is how blunt he is afterwards. He's like, you don't think I remember everything as well? Like, I I don't remember everything. We're old. There's memories that are missing and has nothing to do with the fire. Stop blaming it on the fire. Like, stop it. I think that was Kasen's way of just kind of knacking him a little bit. Just like, no, uh, we all are missing things because of just how old we are. And it has nothing to do with the fire. You're just afraid to own up to being more than a hospitality sword. And that just uh, plays into the fact when she finds out that Mika has let Hototogisu go. And uh, then he starts to doubt himself even. Because he's like, what am I? What are we all? What is the point of this? I am sad. Thankfully, his existential crisis, I will say, despite the fact that he does fight Mika and gets very hurt, I don't think it's as painful as, obviously, as Mika's, but it's still pretty painful. I don't really know how to describe it. It ends happier. Let's just say that. It does, and it gives him a little bit of, because, like, you see him making the dumb decision to follow Mika because of it. So you see the negative side, but then him getting stronger afterwards by Mm -hmm. using what he heard and remembering I am still a sword when he is fighting one-on-one with the black armor. And he like it's literally ripping him right in the heart with its you are nothing now that you've been burnt. And uh, he is, and he's grown stronger from it despite the fact it was a painful lesson. Very good growth for the Shoku end of things. I also appreciate the slight ease at eventually Shoku going on Kiwame. Maybe I'll go on a journey someday too. Speaking of Mikazuki's own, we're gonna we're gonna shove him aside for just a moment. We're gonna jump over Mika, cause Mika Mika's a whole knotted little. <laughs> <laughs> time so we're gonna get there in a moment Um, time and pain but then we have the what is a sword from the hototogisu 
side of things. Hatodoshisu was born <laughs> from not just sorrow, like I mentioned earlier. He has the souls of different swords all in one human personification. So he's a little confused. He's got a little bit of multiple personality stuff going on where he's a little unsure of who he is, what he is, why he is, the standard <laughs> what? All he knows is he exists. That's his master on the ground. And he's not okay with that. So he he cries. And then who's better to find him than the Date armor? And he explains that yes, you are a sword and come with us and we can help you save your master. And it gives him a focus, it gives him a target. And he gets back to where Yoshiteru was alive. And he just sticks beside him. Baby sword. It's like, I am your sword. I don't have a name, but I'm your sword. Which confuses everybody. Especially back at the Citadel where they're like, wait, wait, wait. He has different, he feels like he's made up of different swords. He knew who I was. Because he called Bami by name. And he could tell that Miko was an Ashikaga sword. I don't think he ever actually spoke to Han. Maybe briefly. In passing. He, he's like, Hanya too! He did. <laughs> he, he said during that scene, he like said Daihanya, but he didn't look at him. <laughs> Poor Daihanya. Yeah. The, the one Ashikaga sword that's just kind of there this entire time, unfortunately. He is support Osafune. He is doing his best. <laughs> not for show. I love not he's doing his best for his for Bami. He's trying to keep Bami safe. He knows Shoku's at the Citadel. We're, yeah, he's fine. But Dodo is out here and they're like, wait, but how is he a sword? That doesn't make any sense. But then eventually we kind of get the answer. That a sword warrior exists because of the stories around the blade. Yoshiteru meets Mika, Bami, and Daihanya as Toto's like, yeah, look, we've got all of them. We can protect you. And then Mika's like, oh, I'm not protecting you. Sorry. I don't really care. You didn't use me. Bye. Like, I just wanted to see what would happen. Y'all have got this on your own. Toto just pops in like, yeah, no, we don't we don't need them after all. We don't need them. You have me. We don't need Mika. We don't need Bami. We don't need Hanya. We just I'll protect you. And that's when Yoshida realizes that, oh yeah, you don't have a name. I should fix that. And as soon as he gives him a name, Toto is a lot stronger. He he grows instantly. And it's it's quite interesting to see how that I was really really impressed with how they did it I was with Heshi and Fudo when they first fought with him after the return and he he pulled the whole Mika pose and line I I got nervous at that I was like excuse me what now yeah he's just channeling his power from different sources but does that mean because of the like because of stuff 
that Mika was one of those swords that was a part of Hoto Togisu in the long run? Oh, yes. For Toto, being a sword meant having a master and doing everything he could to protect him. Sounds very similar to uh, what the token Nanshi do, as we see with that fight with Kudo and Hasebe versus Hoto Jigisu. His entire thing is, I will protect Aruji, I will protect the master at any cost. And that's always been Hasebe's driving force, even before Kiwame was yep. serve master. And yup. And Toto, being a conglomeration of swords, if y'all remember from our, from our recording a review of Musubi, I had that moment where I just kind of froze and died a little bit because I made the connection that you know who else is a conglomeration of swords essentially? Tomoegata Naginata. <laughs> They don't have stories. They don't have masters. Toto had a master. That's a really fun realization right there. But he was true to his job until the very end. And then he broke. And his line haunts me every day. I wanna go. I don't wanna go. Where are they gonna take us? Yoshiteru. Sama. Where did it go? Where did it come from? Where did it come from? Cue dancing. I'm so sorry I put that into your brain. Oh, your fault. On that note, we can jump into Mikazuki's time loop of fun. Woo! Oh, God. Who wants to start us off on this one no one because it's a roller coaster of confusion okay let me let me restart okay so <laughs> thing we learned in this stage play mikazuki is going through a time loop has been for many many times something they realize and they're like holy cow you're so strong what are you because you're not just mikazuki sarah where does his time loop reset ah he resets all the way back to Hanoji. No. Yep. No, it's before that. Technically, yeah. But when he first interacts with him in Hanoji, he's very confused. And it's like, it starts out, you think it's just simple. GG is GG. He is a forgetful old man who doesn't pay attention to nothing. And so he's pulling, like, Oh, Lord. He's just forgotten so much because he's been through it so many times. He's starting to kind of lose hold of, like, what he's done and when. And after watching Keenan and going back to see it, you really can actually figure out that, oh, huh, oh. Because it's something, like, simple as whenever Mamba comes to meet with the Sanawa at the beginning, Mika is so confused, like, oh, you're already here. And then other little comments of like, oh, you don't like tea? And he's very confused. Yes, it is. It's very painful to notice when you do that because it's just like 
all these things he knows and he's just like what time am i actually in now because even when it's just as simple as he's announcing the fact that mamba is now the secretary he's just like i haven't mentioned it yet he's losing hold of his time fun but if you go back and rewatch joden when the first time that he even appears when he first drops in that past version of joden because joden's this whole time ridiculousness um that makes way more sense than whatever the heck is going on with mika he gave bami the omomori to give to buchan uh yamabushi kunihiro and it's like how did a sword that just came into being know to give honebami the exact item that he needed he just arrived here and is giving an item to a sword that's already been in the citadel. What is going on? And then when you take into account the events that were going on in this one, you're like, oh, it's because when he appears, he knows immediately, oh, I just dropped. Oh, I have to go give Bami the Omomori now. Because if not, Yamabushi is going to actually shatter. And it's not going to be great. So you're like, Excuse me, what? <laughs> which like, makes sense but, because which, of how which, they end. But and then it also kind of hurts because you're like, a lot of what Mika, the reason, probably one of the reasons Mika's continuously looping and has this promise to Yambagiri, the first thing he does is protects his brother. The f- first thing he does is to make sure that Buchan stays alive. And you're just like, oh, this this hurts even more now why why are you doing this to me <laughs> oh gosh because i still haven't really gone back and rewatched all the other music all the other stage plays you guys have and caught all those moments because <laughs> uh, my own time is limited i mean i kind of could see that as the beginning of the loop but at the same time i also see mika giving bami the mamori as an an apology because rewatching Joden. Woohoo. When he gives him the charm is just after he says, Oh, Honebami, it's been such a long time. And Honebami is like, I'm sorry, I don't know you. But Mika remembers from his time at the Ashikaga. Like he knows Bami from their time together with Yoshiteru and the Ashikaga family. But since Bami doesn't remember He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Well, for now, please take this. Like, as an apology slash let's be friends kind of gesture. Like, you may not know me, but I I kind of know you. And yeah, you're cool. Like, I care for you. Please hold on to this. That's fine with you, right, Otterji? Like, I can can do that. Then Bami, because Bami was on that first unit. Bami knew what was going to happen in Joden. So that's uh, why Bami went and gave him the... Yeah, and slipped it into Buchan's thing. But if you want to talk about painful time loop option, how about Bami giving it to Buchan as a sacrifice to keep Mamba from breaking? Thanks, Jesse. You're welcome. I wish you could see my face right now. <laughs> 
Angry Blep Otter, I think is what the best comparison is right now. Angry Blep Otter. <laughs> I can see it. I can see you making that face. I'm not in my room or I because I just looked for my angry blep otter. Aww. And he's not with me. And I'm a little sad. Anyway. But yes, that is that is not the time loop that we are. <laughs> Mika's time loop though. Gosh. But also going back and looking through, he's left there. Bless Suemitsu Kenichi. This screenwriter, director, producer, what have you, for this entire stage play series for being so thorough and leaving such little hints throughout the plays leading up to now and beyond from little spoiler things we have seen. We have not seen Jiden or Eden, so if anything really ties into any of these bits, again, we have not seen either of those yet, so... Sorry, those of you who have and know more than we do on the future side of things. Cool, hang in there for a little bit longer. We'll get there eventually. But Mika leaving little hints and being all, let me prepare the Citadel. There's still time. It's okay. But trials are coming. Casually ends Honoji with the whole I can rest in peace now, knowing the Citadel's in good hands. Thanks! Casually ends Akatsuki Oh yeah, okay. Trials are coming, but we're getting stronger, and we're gonna be able to face it. Cool, thanks. Yeah, Mika's just been looping back in time continuously for who knows how long. I'm not certain if they really actually give us a reason to why he has been looping. That's something that still Ooh. eludes me. I'll give you time to speak. Just the fact that because of his time loop, they do they have a really wonderful, thank you, visual uh during the during the stage of the time being a straight line and then starting to curve into each other and creating a knot. Mika has created a knot in time and space and created a distortion that allows the history retrograde army to pinpoint where the citadel is that Mika is currently at. And that's not a good thing. Nothing is sacred. Nothing is safe. Nothing is sacred. Nothing nothing is safe. safe. Not even the citadel. Nope. And they know how to get in. Thankfully, now now that the knot is gone, they're safe, I guess? But because of these actions, as we mentioned before, Mika kind of runs off. I'm still a little confused that he does kind of run off with Hototogisu. I guess it's just because it's like, oh, plot has to happen. I have to keep following my line. A man has come down from the it's the time organization, whatever. The people that are in, ta- in charge of all the Saniwas and all of their different little citadel bubble distortion things. They have ordered Mika to get dismantled. So throughout all of this, you see Mika kind of like getting weakened because the Saniwa is meditating to slowly try and dismantle him from a distance and has ordered the Tokendanshi to either bring him back for dismantlement or to kill him. 
because if he is there, he is an issue. He's like a big liability. They will be able to find them again and again. And if they don't, then they get cut off and the entire Citadel will get destroyed. So way to go, McFreaky Moon Moon. Mika's time loop in this sense, though, you get the feeling this is his first time experimenting. Maybe. It seems to be ending the same regardless because he can tell. But he's done this time after time already. He knows that. We see that when he clashes blades with Yoshiteru the first time. When he meets Hototogisu, I think it's at the Citadel, he asks him, can history even really be changed? Is there any such a thing as changing history? Because we're not the only ones at work here. We're not the only ones trying to protect history. And there haven't been any major changes, no matter what happened, on either side. So if I let you go, what's going to happen? I want to know. Run along. Goodbye. But because he knows he did that, he himself can't stay at the Citadel. So he leaves and follows after him to see it through. And also knows that his time is coming because things are already in motion once more. That's my take on his leaving the Citadel. Sarah, what about you? I'm dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the big comment, really. That scene right there, which is always followed up by one of my screen moments. But the fact that he is so hopeless at that scene, because that's when he's really admitting is that he's thinking all of these battles, all of our sacrifices are completely useless. So he's more or less admitted that he has completely given up hope that there's any use to what they're doing. That he's coming to the point where he's considering them and their purpose that they've been given in this new life to protect history as not even possible. So he's kind of dangling in that own way too of like, my purpose isn't going to work. So he's now caught in this loop as well of the, it's, a purpose that we can't fulfill so now we're more or less purposeless so what do we even do why are we here he's not just having his former existential crisis of what's the use he's literally just like why he's just hit that giant why moment with that but it's just it's broken him so much because he keeps having this realization over and over and the fact he can't change it but I'll agree, this is definitely the first time he's really experimented. Like, he might have changed one or two things. Because he mentions to Shoku, how many times have I raised my blade against you? And then he's like, I know I can't convince you otherwise. So, let's just go ahead and do this. So that's when he does the, <laughs> when he stabs Shoku. But he's clearly tried. He's tried to change minor things before. Things like having the argument of explaining his reasoning. But he's done it so many times that he knows like it won't matter because in the end I'm going to dismantle and start this all over. So he's finally changing bigger things. 
he's a little he's a scientist going through his hypothesis of if I change this one variable, what will happen? And he's clearly it's clearly working out because when he's fighting Mamba later, he's like, You're stronger. And he's so happy about that fact. Because it means there's finally that chance that they will come back and it will finally end. He's realized, but he's slowly changing his variables. It's it's really interesting, even as it's heartbreaking. Yeah, the, the one thing I'm going to bring up might just break your minds more on a scientific level. What the heck, Marissa? Why are you thinking so deeply? But because Mika is stuck in a time loop, and he's been reliving these same events over and over again, are they alternate realities and alternate times? Because if he keeps looping, wouldn't he just change the time after Eden over and over again because of just him being messing with the citadel over and over or is he going to a different citadel or a different alternate reality where this keeps happening and just keeps bouncing around or is he causing other realities to be created every single time i just made your brain explode in a more scientific way of excuse me what (laughs) it's 10 o'clock at night why did we do this again (laughs) because y'all love me but I guess they didn't want to get that too deep of a dive into this. It was just like, oh, Mika's just time looping. There's like some theory out there. I know that like when it's controlled time loop, you break so and so and there's a. Or maybe this was, quote unquote, his. I don't know, because we see at the very end Mika dropping again. And starting the cycle all over, but maybe this is him finally succeeding in changing some of it. Uh, because he managed to make Mamba stronger in the end. So maybe this is the future moving on, and Mika's just going to continue to relive this same version over and over. Which is possible. Because if you look at the cast of Jiden and the like summary of that Mika is not in it Mika does not exist in Jiden and Jiden's a lot of them dealing with the pieces based off of just kind of like you said like some of the screenshots of things and hearing fans it it seems to be them kind of like picking up the pieces and moving on and kind of dealing with everything that happens with the whole Mika thing and it's a little more on the lines of Ponomaru. Like, it's just kind of mostly Citadel time. There there are some, like, there's still some fight scenes and things like that. But most of the shots that I've seen is happy, fun Citadel time with Yamabagini Chogi uh, cape flips all over the place. <laughs> and it's a lot more lighthearted compared to this one. And it was very much necessary. Yeah, we'll see. Like I like mentioned earlier, none of us have seen it yet. I'm still expecting drama and painful moments to come. But, you know, nothing as bad as Hiden to be found in A Tale of Mercy. Mikatsuki Munechika out here causing pain galore. Knowing that every time he goes, he causes people pain. But he can't stop. As he goes to leave Honibami and Daihanya and Toto, he mentions a promise that he made and will make 
every time with Mamba because he knows that if anyone will listen to him, if anyone will be able to help him to save him from this loop that he's stuck in, it is none other than Yan Mamba Giri Kunihiro. But what is the freaking promise? Is it when he steps away from their battle that next time we meet, I look forward to our sparring session? And Mamba turning around saying, yes, and when that happens, I'll be even stronger before he breaks down and sobs. Like, is that the promise or is there more to it? Is it something that we'll find out later? Because it's that... not mentioned in Akatsuki. Yeah. I couldn't find anything before when I went through Honoji. It's not in Gaiden, though I have thoughts on that for a later thing. I think that might be the promise. Because the way that Mika is talking about the promise, it makes it seem like he's about to make a promise, not he has. Like, it's it's that weird, like, I have made a promise multiple times and I'm about to make it again. He's right. obviously made this promise because he's time-looped, but he hasn't made it this time to Mamba. So that might be it. Just a simple promise of looking forward to sparring and Mamba becoming stronger every time. So that's why Mika, his entire thing is to try and groom Yamamba Giri Kunihiro to be stronger, or at least to be strong, so he can deal with this when the time comes. But it wasn't really formed in the way of a normal promise. They don't say I promise. They don't actually pinky swear, because Mika holds his little pinky up like it's a pinky swear and it's super cute. That might be it. Because when I did rewatch that scene, I was like, that that might be the promise. Because mom is breaking down and crying at this point. Sarah, what are your thoughts on the promise? That's the only scene I can really think of, unless it's something in Joden that I did not catch because I didn't rewatch that recently. <laughs> the only one. It has to be because we don't have Mika for the next two stages. So, unless it's a forewarning to something coming up, it, I'm going to go with, for now, that this promise of the continuous, like, strength and, like, constantly trying, and that they will meet again, <laughs> we'll meet again someday, that's going to roll my dice on for now. It's never going to be a simple, like, I feel like they're having fun with our pain right now. <laughs> And yeah. that that's all that it, it still boggles me because I kept thinking, surely I've seen this pinky promise before. It could just be because we've seen Heaton so many times now. It's stuck in the brain. That's that's what I'm gonna go with. Not happy with it because it feels, but that's what I'm gonna have to roll my dice on. I have one last connection, potential connection regarding Mika and his time loop. When Mamba is going through time, swept into the vortex following after Mika, as history is breaking around them, and he's jumping through history, we meet Benkei and Yoshitsune once more. Hey guys, how's it been? But we also see, like on the screen, 
it goes through scenes from Honnoji, from Akati, from Joden. And then get two new scenes with actors on the stage, not shown on the screen, before he goes to meet Mika. And my wondering is, are those in any way related to Mika's time loop? Because of how they did the the ones with Odawara, or is it just the standard flow of history, which could be possible if they were just showing it in historical order, chronological order. Because the next to last one was the Ikedaya incident, and then the last one was Ryoma's assassination. Association! <laughs> assassination. And considering after Jiden, the next play we had focused on Ryoma and Okada, the Tosa three. I wasn't sure if there might be a connect there, potentially, but there might not be. It's probably just watching history break before we find Mika at the end. I love how Koga's just like there at the end of time and space with them as they fight. He's like, I just wanted to be here and I followed you through. And like, what the heck, Koga? <laughs> okay. He's just being the supportive father of all swords. Like, he can't say anything. He knows he won't because it's not his story. Yeah. But he's going to be there to be that moral support. Yeah. And he's also not just there for me because he's there for Mamba. It's Indeed. a hard time for Mamba. And also, he's kind of like the arbiter of all of this. Like, I'm just the observer at this point and I feel like somebody needs to be here to see this instead of just having Mamba be alone in this bubble I also love that they bring in the word like the makeup of the kanji for hidden that he which means sad right tragedy which they break down a couple times throughout the stage play Kasuda uses it as a joke in the beginning. Yeah. And that top part of it means nothing or emptiness. And the one underneath it means heart. And Koga's standing there watching Mamba process this all, breaking down and crying his heart out. And he's like, does it hurt? It's so, are you sad? It's so ironic because a heart that is filled with sadness is not empty at all. Ouch. Well, we're still dying on that little play on words. Can we point out the fact that they did play on words a lot? And there was one that kind of hit me just because, like, we know I don't Japanese. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I try. I fail. I have not had professional training like y'all. But there was a moment where it's the death scene again, and we know, like, that conversation going on between Koga and huh, Ashikaga happening. The what is a sword question is brought up, but Ashikaga eventually is just, like, he fi- when he's finally, like, accepted his fate fully, he's like, what a beautiful mad dance of he's like the mad dance of you swords 
they literally are talking about the token Rambu. So they put the name of everything, this entire franchise, they finally slipped it in somehow. To, and it's like, of all the th- times they could have done it, that's kind of like a locklet in its own way, if you think about it. We have token Rambu going on. We know logically token the swords, but like, why? What was the purpose of calling this game token Rambo? What is it about Wild Dance? And then finally, here it is at this moment of death. Just thought that was a little fun moment of oof. Do you have oh, yeah. the wordplay at this moment? And then he goes in the name for Hototogisu that he gives the sword. Hototogisu is in the name of the stage play, right? Yui no me no Hototogisu. But the kanji there is different from the kanji that he gives the blade itself. Which is also really interesting, because Japan, same readings for so many kanji. Woo! The name that he gives him is the Time Bird. I think is really cute. Mm-hmm. Because he wants him to show him, take like, a different time. time. Take him with your time. And show him a future. Out, Joshikaga, ouch. Out of, like, all of the humans that we've had, I think he's the only one. I, I think Masamune knew of his fate. But he raged against it. Because it's very much a Masamune thing. He raged against his fate and refused to kind of fall but at the same time was more resigned to it later on oh well that's not how i want to live as a person ashikaga was fearful of his death because he kept hotetegisu showed him his him dying and he's like i don't want to like i i became the shogun to achieve greatness to make it great again and he did he did a really good job as the shogun it's just politics played a nasty role in his downfall and I think he's the only person that really, like, golden climbed against his eventual death. As he was dying, he kind of died, I think, with less regret in him than he normally would have with all the events that were going on. Especially after Koga was like, if they do laugh at you, I will kill them. Pretty much hinted, like, no, you were a great man and people respected you. And you died in honorable death and a very interesting death with his headstone made of his swords they used to kill him uh caesar style stab him caesar style (laughs) 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 on that note (laughs) oh the word the hotazagisi wordplay with the, the time bird and the actual cuckoo bird being mika but the cuckoo being a harbinger of death in Japanese culture, but also for those of you who know, actual cuckoo birds will lay their ne- their eggs in a normal bird nest as the cuckoo sits there and once they hatch, will take all of the food from the other mama bird and start to kind of like kill the other birds, which Mika's inadvertently doing with his time loop. He is killing them slowly by squeezing the knot around them. So yeah, a lot of a lot of double meanings for the cuckoo. 
you you took that the Mika route, but you could have easily taken that the Toto route and made it to where with him drawing on the other strength, it was oh, making yeah. them weaker, which is what it looked like for a while. Because when he started doing the Mika thing, is at the same time that Mika was starting the breaking process. Time that I watched it, the first couple times, I'm like, oh lord, he is literally draining their powers from them. That's that's what I thought. But then when you throw subtitles, you're like, yeah. oh no, Saniwa yeah. is killing him slowly. And instead of Mika becoming stronger, he's becoming weaker. And Toto is becoming stronger because he has a purpose. He has a name. And he is no longer a jumbled amount of memories and identities. And Yoshiteru managed to, by naming him, solidify who he was. I know I said I would try to keep it down on the Toto, but he is important. when When he broke... Yoshiteru was also fighting elsewhere, right? As soon as Toto broke apart, the blade that Yoshiteru was using shattered. Oh, I didn't notice that. And I highly approve of that parallel right there, even as it breaks my heart even more. Well, if you think about it, too, whenever Koga shows up and he's just like, so the harbinger of my death isn't going to be my cuckoo but a raven or crow. So maybe he sensed that his cuckoo was dead. I think he did. Because he also said his name. And I think he said his name. For anyone curious, it was as Toto broke. That my heart shattered and I become completely detached for the rest of the stage play because it only hurts my heart more watching Mamba go through Mika's process too. She's not joking. Do we have any more comments on the, the, the story itself? Mine's one more slight delve into pain but it's only please, minor. Please delve. Um, because I don't think we could really do justice without nodding back again once more to uh, all the little hands and peaks throughout the past few stages. Because they even mention in, like, Mama has a little bit of a freak out whenever he's like, oh yeah, I talked about something similar with Mika once. And back in Hakatsuki, it was asking about, like, who is the enemy? Like, why are they fighting? Who are they fighting? And legitimately, he asks him like he's it's when they're having the acorn gathering he and mom asks like who the heck are you and mika does his whole little like shoving aside daddy daddy dad but finally he's like mom asks like what are you trying to do to the citadel and that's when mika like really settles down he's like i only wish for the citadel to grow stronger and so of course mom was like the logical why so that when needed we can with it can weather any ordeal. Yamamagiri, you can do it. And then finally, Mamba asks the question, "Who are we fighting?" And then Mika does this wonderful, painful. Those who try to alter history, not the retrograde army, not the history revisionists. Those who try to alter history. Yay! So is that meaning he's lumping himself in with that? He is. He is. Yep. That is what, what he I did. Thought. 
Have fun with that thought now. That's a good thought to brought up because I, I kind of forgot about that a little bit. My final thought on the stage play is I'm pretty certain either one of you were here when I was watching Jodin because I, I cried. Uh, that Anakotsky, I cried because I'm not as big of a Dante fan as Jesse. Jesse seeing her Dante fluffers over there, rip Dante fluffers. Because I love Sada and just that hurt. But it also hurt because Buchan grew on me a lot in that stage. I was more confused the entire time I was watching this. Like, yeah, it hurt seeing like the confrontation with Mamba and Nika and then I for the first the first time I watched it with subs was when I went to Japan to visit Jesse. I was like, I still haven't seen it with subs and Jesse's like <sighs> fine, I guess we're fixing that, and I'll go through more pain again. Uh, <laughs> I love you, Jesse. It cleared up a lot of the things I was confused about, but it still didn't really break me. It still hurts, and it's more of like a mental break, and less of a heartbreak. Because I'm like, what is going on? I need to know. But Maki, Maki does get me. Like At, at first, I'm like, okay, they're fighting, alright, and then when Mika starts to like fade off and Maki's just head down on the ground sobbing. I'm like, nope, honey, nope, stop panning to his face. Mm-mm, I don't need my heart to break. Mm. Nope. Nope. <sighs> nope, Maki. Because his acting in that final scene is some of the best I've seen of him. Because it's just so emotional. And like Sarah said and Jesse said in their impressions before the stage, he pretty much cried every night. That scene happened, so... Ouch, Maki. I remember seeing Maki's tweets from between performances, because this was a very long run. And a lot of the days, they had double performances. And so after the afternoon performance, he'd be like, Okay, thanks for coming, guys. I'm gonna go to repairs. I'm gonna go rest. And just recharges like mamba actually doesn't isn't very present for a lot of the first half of the stage play and i'm very glad because he would have been so overworked and exhausted like yeah he was there but he wasn't nearly as prominent like as he was in Joden, having to run all around on and off stage all of the time for both halves and then with this one, we have the major slow motion moment. That whole thing must have taken so much to lead up into the heart-wrenching scene where, yeah, he can't do it without crying, no matter how much to not cry. They deserve a longer nap than they ever take. They really do. There were a lot of fun moments, though. Amidst all of the pain amidst the whole two months of this mess, we got some fabulous little moments out of it. Marissa, oh, do you happen to have any out in your mind? Because I know, I know as many times as Sarah <laughs> and I have watched the backstage and various little things about it that we have many we could talk about. Yeah, um, I haven't watched the backstage yet. yet. Uh, <laughs> some downloaded them, I'm terrible, I'm sorry. And then I'm not as obviously from those of you who 
No, during our normal monthly podcast, I usually hand off the stage and live stuff to the two of them because I don't really keep up to date as much on uh, social media about what's going on. I'm mostly on Twitter for fan art. But one of the things, my favorite little bit during this stage is right at the beginning when they pan to Hasabe and Fudo doing their little Kiwame training. And I forget the guy who, I forget his name, the guy that uh, Hasabe is working in the fields with. He's like, oh, look, <laughs> it's a hockey. <laughs> and, and then Hasabe goes, he just like twitches internally and goes, more flashbacks. Uh, for those of you who don't. No, I don't need it. Thanks. No, I don't need it. Thanks. And he eats it anyway. But I love that funny little nod to the first stage where they're in their ward council and they shove the Ohagi mouth. <laughs> and he cannot chew. He cannot breathe. It is hot. And he's just like dying. So. I love that little nod and that little bring back to something very funny from the first stage. It was it was a great, great thing. And also it showed uh, Hasuke because he was just such a, he's still a stick in the mud, even post-Kiwame, but he was way more mud uh, before. And also kind of like his willingness to be like, despite my hiccups and my hangups over Ohagi, I will eat this. <laughs> so at least not getting shoved down my gullet. So that's the bonus. Also, it's not super, it's not like funny, but it was also, I, I enjoyed it. Jesse made a mention of it earlier, but um, in the first half, when you have the different teams going back to the certain time periods, it's kind of a bit like, it would be like a clip show if it was an anime. It'd be like jumping from team to team. Uh, you only see the actors on stage who are actually in the uh, performance, but they make mention of the other swords that we've seen in the previous stages as well. So pretty much I think everyone is mentioned. Yeah. And even some that aren't. And then Shishio <laughs> mentioned later, which was interesting. I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> but I love that nod back to the fact that like, hey, they're here too. It's just they're not playing a huge role right now because oh, good lord, that's too many, <clears throat> looks at the next stage, and it's like, ha-ha, no. But, yeah, I like those Those were two moments that just made me smile and made me laugh. Yay! Look at them, they're still there. They're still doing things, it's just they're not relevant to this story at this moment. I think it's also really cool, because it also shows how big the Citadel has grown mm -hmm. since the beginning. Especially with the mention of Shishio, and Way and you're like, seen him in the stage. So there's probably plenty of swords that are here that haven't even been mentioned. Like how in most of the other stage plays, it seems like oh no, they they they've these swords have interacted before. We've just never seen it because the character's not been in a relevant story that they've wanted to write. But oh, they've been there's been character interactions in the background with all of them as we'll probably see more during Jiren because it's like look at all those Awatoguchi Tontos look look at the babies they've been here 
You bet your butt they've been here, because you probably got them early on in the game. Everyone gets all of them very quickly. And they they did the same thing in the musical with the fact that it's like, this the second one with the Faka Ten, they reference, oh, we should probably bring out Hachiska. He's just kind of been standing here. <laughs> so. He's a very nice potted plant that he's just kind of there for looks for a while. Okay, now we'll bring him out and put him in the front row. So both the stage and the musical have both kind of hinted like these swords exist, or even like the first one with Yasusada. Like these citadels are much bigger than what we can actually see, which is a nice nod to that fact. Thank you, thank you, people, for taking into consideration. At one moment, you had the Kobayashi boys up there on stage. So Uguisamara and Baka are up there playing. Well, behind the stage, you have Hiroki, who plays uh, Mikazuki, and then sitting down are Hasebe and Fudo, and you know that both of their swords glow. So they're sitting there, waving like pin lights, their blades, as Hiroki mimes what the Kobaisen are doing on stage. Like, both of them. He's just literally miming the words, miming the swordplay. He's back there doing it. And those two are just sitting there waving their swords like, yeah, you go! But it's also great because, like, he's not only miming, he's doing it perfectly. And they're like, holy cow, you look just like him. That's perfect. That's amazing. And so Toto's actor comes up behind him and he's like, wait, what? And then Maki... Mamba, right? Maki comes up, and he's like, do it again. And so he's doing it, and they're all just dying, because he's like a perfect copy of freaking Mai-chan out on stage. And, like, expressions included. So, like, he'll be, you'll, like, (laughs) Mikasuki in his outfit, acting like Ugui, Ugui and then Baki. He's just like, ah! (laughs) But he's worked with, uh, Hiroki's worked with Mai-chan a lot. Yeah. So it does it, it it makes sense that he'd be able to easily emulate him because of just the amount of time they've spent together. Like he knows how he acts as an actor. And my son could reverse it and probably do the same thing. Yeah. But that also means you have to quit picking at uh Maki. Which is you really know. hard for him to do. <laughs> so the other thing I was going to mention from the backstage as well. If anyone remembers way back when it was coming out and all of the like pictures coming, all of the photos. Well, Koga's Man. actor Tamaki has this thing outside of like the photos for Instagram and Twitter and all that. If he sees the camera pointed at him, he will troll. Like he will go from smiley giggly to deadpan the moment the keynote is the camera. <laughs> So all backstage, like, you'll see him, like, interacting with everyone being hyper giggly bab, and then the moment camera freeze. Which is really hilarious when, like, at one point he's coming up the stairs, and, like, they're all, like, it's a little trait of them trying to come up the stairs, and he's just, like, talking with someone, then he just turns, sees the camera, and he's like, nope. Not happening. Nope. Doodles in. You can hear laughter afterwards, and you're just like, okay, this is fine. So those are two. Jesse, does your brain have any more? Yeah. Yeah. So you <laughs> mentioned the cameras, right? <laughs> and all of the fabulous selfies that come out of this. 
and we have I have two moments and both are involving the same person because when all the pictures are being posted what we didn't know is by and large a lot of them were taken by the same person backstage photographer Kato show Baka over here just being like okay let me hold the camera above you now okay look this way now no you duck a little bit now turn your head okay okay click awesome okay next with his hands that are bigger than this photos yes. <laughs> trying to do a selfie with Mamba and he'd be directing him on how to look and everything and it's so beautiful and show is a fabulous hyper energetic puppy which ties into my next one because walking backstage right he'll be practicing his lines and just full-on okanahira energy anger come at me bro energy right he'll end his line blink and he'll just look up and go how was that to which the camera pans turns to the left and you see my Jen and he's just standing there like that was excellent good job sweetie and then he looks at the camera and he goes Arkato show he's the best guys <laughs> I love guys that. I have come to a realization I guess Baka's mine now because he is part of the himbo crew <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, got though. Just all right, honey. Just here we go. Congratulations! I on get your new the, son. I get the idiots. Enjoy the loudness. <laughs> I think that's why I liked Mutsu so much. So I was like, he's just a puppy, just a big handsome puppy. Rewatching it, more inclined to kind of like focus on Baka because I was like, whatever. Wh- why is I'm so confused why Baka's here? But then it was also he was kind of a bit of the call out to Mika. But I was like looking at him and I was like. He was very handsome. <laughs> Last minute realization. Great. Because the way that you're ex- describing him and just me thinking about Baka, I was like, oh my gosh, he reminds me of Galothemos from Promare at this point. Just, I'm going to yell and be a dum-dum the entire time. Oh no. I, I, I guess by uh, just default, he's mine now. Let me just stew Can... over this. Continue. I know you had more. <laughs> she has a list. Of course she has more. Yeah. What's next Ooh. on your list? I like this bounce back and forth. I can either do tuna fish comment or one Please. on... Tuna fish. So this is what I think we'll team up on. So I'll t- comment on yeah, Kostin, and then you can comment on the tuna fish struggles backstage. Okay, sounds good. So the lovely opera singing happening about the tuna fish time was kind of improv day for day apparently and so you get to see in the backstage like the different things that would happen for instance in one time costing gets really excited and joins in on the singing in another as Choku's voice gets higher Kostin sinks lower until he's down below the cabinet my favorite one however is when a tall, tall uh, bean child, Tonchun, like, picks him up a little bit, and, like, yeah. poor, 
poor Wadikos is just trying to, like, back up and get away, and he walks himself out of his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, like, trying to get his shoes back on at the same time, and he, he's struggling, man. He's struggling. <laughs> so, yes. Tuna fish time. Then <laughs> cutting the fish, right? That's the whole thing. It's like, we gotta cut the fish, we gotta feed the people. So there's just this random giant fish as a prop for one scene. So, of course, these hyperactive actors are going to play with the fish. Maki, as they're practicing on stage, he, like, leaves his own sword behind and starts using the fish as a swordfish. <laughs> and he's swinging it around, but then he just, like, starts making it swim at one point. <laughs> my gosh. I love it. Oh, these beautiful boys. He just likes to take other people's props and uses <laughs> it himself. Like, taking, I, I don't know if it's Taro or Jiro, one of their swords and just going bananas with it. Like, but yeah, he did that too. He also did that with Okanahira's backstage of this one. Oh, he, gosh. um, out here trying to swing it around and like <laughs> playing with Kato's show as he does it and shows just trying to like dodge it <laughs> but then he he so smoothly puts it back in his sheath i don't understand it was so beautiful i love him and his sword skills another fun moment on the maki train so war council sometimes goofed yes do you want to cover it since it's, it's you can cover it a little bit better than I can, but it's hilarious. So the work council scenes always had a tie into that first sparring session where they're trying to go to tea, right? Maki in the sub version we have. Thank you, subbers. Thank you very much. Maki's like, oh, I think I have some I should have some yokan. Like it's like red bean paste stick thing. It's actually really good. He's like, I should have some of that in the kitchen. I can grab. And Mika chimes in, oh, the yokan? I ate that. Mamba's just like, <laughs> that had my name on it. In the ward council, they're talking about Toto and trying to figure out why he's appearing in all these different time periods. And Mika hasn't said a thing, so he turns to look at Mika and he's like, what do you think, Mikazuki? Like, what are your thoughts on this? And he's like, Oh, the thing from earlier? Yeah, I replaced it. I'm talking about the Yokan. The one with the subtitles is the 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 tamest one, to be honest. Yeah. The others <laughs> my personal favorite involves the Simbei rice cracker thing. Where he mentions that they he had it and then Mika's like, Oh, I ate those already. But then they get in the word council and Mika's like Oh, no, I, I, I'm I, sorry. I thought about it, and I, I got some new ones. I put it back for you. And Maki's like, what are you talking about? And Mika explains, he's like, you know, the round thing, it's hard and crispy. And he's like, the, the senbei? That's not what? And he just pulls one out of his pocket. Out of his waist plate armor. Oh, my gosh. Armor. And he's like, senbei, here, you want it? Have it. And he goes to feed it to him. But Mamba turns his hand back to himself 
And he's like, no, I don't want the senbei. That's not what we're talking about. But Mika eats it. Like, he puts it in his mouth, and it goes crunch. And it <laughs> runs everywhere. And surprise <laughs> Hiroki wide-eyed. Yes. Which makes Maki then go, why the heck did you eat that? And Hiroki's over here like, I- I'm not sure. And then Kasen's over here like, excuse me, hello, we are in a war council meeting, can you not? And Mika's just like, I'm sorry, Kasen, did you did you want some too? And tries to offer it to him, and he's like, no, I don't want the timid. Maki's trying to help pick up the crumbs because they're actual crumbs that are on the stage floor. <laughs> Casually puts some in Mika's teacup. Yes, because that's what Mika was doing. He's like, oh lord, we gotta put these somewhere. We can get them off the stage. He's like, shoot, I made a mess. We don't want to slip or fall on this later. Like, this is a bad idea. Abort, abort, abort. Lord, I love those, though. They're so fantastic. Thinks to himself, next time, let's actually bring food out on the stage. That's why they have fake food. Yeah. Except for them and their runny joke of sitting real food and these poor boys, there's always something going wrong with it. They also had to explain that to Bami's actor, because talking about Wada Hasebe and his Ohagi incident and the trauma that comes with it and what he tries to convey on stage. He's like, but no, you don't understand because that happened. Like, they fed me <laughs> that on stage real food once and he's like yeah but this time it isn't real right so what's the problem he's like no it doesn't matter they tried to feed it to me they stuck two whole ones they were big and stuck them in my mouth and i could not say my lines (laughs) (laughs) he's so dedicated he's such a hasabe two final words from you both just simply one, your opinion on it. It doesn't have to be detailed, just in general. Two, would you recommend it? Oh, for a moment, I thought you were about to ask this question, like, Cookie Monster? I don't know how to give this in two words. What? Cookie Monster? You no. said two words. <laughs> I want two words Personal from opinion? You. Cookie Monster. Is that okay? <laughs> Me want cookie? <laughs> <laughs> Me want senbei? <laughs> you want Ohagi? <laughs> no, he really want, wants to see you want Zundamochi? <laughs> yes! So, for like, example, like my personal opinion, I'll go first. I love and hate it equally. <laughs> it's beautifully done, and it's very painful. But I love it as much as I hate it. Two... I would easily recommend it every day, all day. Go watch Heaton. Thank you. I really did enjoy it a lot. It delved way deeper into more thoughtful discussion, as you've noticed with this review, out of any of like the stage shows previous or even from like the musical world. It really hit home, and you're like, this is different. And we, we've kind of been leading up into this uh you saw a lot of it in Joden and then it just really hit you in one. Yeah, I would definitely say I would recommend it. It was great. And for, especially for those who are big token fans, it touches on the things that 
we probably think about and don't want to because it's too painful and they're like you know what finally going to think about it you're welcome what i recommend <clears throat> yes with a watch buddy because it's like one of those my opinion and the reason why i would suggest it or one in the same it is really really good it does touch on so many things that we try not to think about and then we think about and then we get yelled at about because we think about it and then we share what we thought about it so yes have someone else there with you yell at and then get poked because it makes certain scenes much more bearable because they are painful because we love them even if certain characters are not our favorites we don't want anyone really hurt and then this one is just like, nothing is sacred. Nothing is safe. We're gonna invade the Citadel. It's fine. So yes, I would 100% recommend it. And I love it. But definitely have a watch buddy. So you aren't sitting there dying alone. So I'm pretty certain I watched this one while messaging the two of you. <laughs> the first time I watched it. That sounds familiar. Yeah, because we didn't have subtitles back then, and it was Jesse's. I- I'm gonna copy over my discs. So you guys can watch it. Oh wait, my computer is a potato, and it was the laggiest quality I've ever seen out of anything I've watched. Oh my boy, potato tried so hard. It did. I've learned since then. It's fine. That's the end of our review for Jesse. Please say the full title in Japanese because I'm going to butcher it because I don't have it in front of me. Token Rambu. Hiden. Yui no me no hototogi. Thank you. So that, uh, that stage, which is our fourth stage in this series. So if you want to keep up to date with all of our other postings for our monthly podcast or whenever the heck we decide to review the movie. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Token Rambles or on Facebook and Token Rambles Podcast. And you can listen to this and our other podcasts on our Podbean, on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and on YouTube as well. If, but if you want to discuss more about the game or anything else going on with the franchise, you're definitely welcome to join our Discord. You can find the link for that in the description of our Twitter. And is just click the link and join us in our discussions. Oh, that is everything we have to say. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.